Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Unfortunately, Old Florida is disappearing fast, but there are still venues right here in Sarasota that not only take you back in time, but also entertain you and your family in gorgeous tropical landscapes. I'm your host, Bob Williams, where I try to find the most interesting people doing the most fascinating work right here in the greater Sarasota area. You see, I started this podcast because I wanted to meet new people, and then I thought, well, why not share what we talk about with folks just like you? But more importantly, I believe it's crucial to hear each other's stories to better understand who we are as a community right now and what we're becoming for the future. So every Tuesday and Thursday, you'll hear from your neighbors who are running businesses, writing books, leading our local government, starting a new project, and impacting our town in positive ways. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Brittany Webb, Education Coordinator and Animal Supervisor for the famous Sarasota Jungle Gardens. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Brittany, what surprised her most about working with animals, including giant tortoises, boas, flamingos, lemurs, prairie dogs, parrots, and alligators, the animals you can actually feed, where staff get their specialized training to handle the animals, how the gardens prepared for Hurricane Ian, why you should schedule a trip to the gardens, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today. As always, it's my hope that you will listen, learn, and connect. Brittany Webb, Education Coordinator and Animal Supervisor. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, no, I'm excited to be here because I'm on site at Sarasota Jungle Gardens, and so I can see all the animals and meet you and just have a great conversation. So it's a real pleasure for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we might go see some animals after this. <laughs> well, I think so. I think so. Well, we have a lot to talk about, about the gardens, about the animals, and what people can expect when they come here. But before we get into all that, I'm going to ask you my favorite question, which is one thing most people don't know about Brittany. Absolutely. Uh, So one thing that most people do not know about me and sometimes don't believe when I tell them is that I have been to 41 U.S. states now. Uh, So I've been across quite a few because as I was working on my degree to get into the zoological field, I actually drove semi-truck or 18-wheeler long haul across the country. For a couple of years. 
So I've been to quite a few states, and then I've also driven um, the Pacific Coast Highway on my motorcycle. So done that as well. So <laughs> a bit of a motorhead. <laughs> You're an intrepid soul, that's yes, for sure. Absolutely. My goodness. So you drove an 18-wheeler? Yes. As in CDL license? Yep. You are something else. Break, yeah, regular and refrigerated. <laughs> well, that is funny. That's funny. That's a, that's a great background. Well, you sure have seen a lot of the United States. So you, you're going to hit the other nine states at some point? I'm going to do my best. I still haven't gotten to the Northeast, and I didn't quite drive the semi-truck to Hawaii either. So. Uh, yeah, that would be rough. <laughs> That'd be rough. That'd be rough. Well, tell us a little bit about Sarasota Jungle Gardens and how you ended up here because you hit 41 states and decided to stay in Florida. So but tell us about Sarasota Jungle Gardens and then um, how you ended up uh, becoming the education coordinator. Sure, absolutely. So I was I got an internship at Moat Marine, also here in Sarasota, doing rehab work with the sea turtles. And so when that internship ended, I'm originally from Oregon, but I do not like the cold or the rain. So I got here and I just fell in love with Sarasota and I decided I wanted to stay. So I got hired on here, uh, started as a keeper, eventually became the education coordinator and then branched out into supervising all the animal teams. So, um, uh, but it's a very, very special place that, um, you know, I've been here over two years now. Sarasota Jungle Gardens has been open since 1939. So, wow, um, that's right. Yeah, it is old world Florida, but we are, you know, the community loves us and we've been here a long time. It sure is. It sure. So, so where was you? Where did your interest come from with regards to I don't know the environment and animals and the ecology? I mean, what was your degree in that? Yes. Yeah, so my degree was in fisheries and wildlife with a, a specialty in conservation and ecology. So for as long as I've remembered, I have loved animals. So that has never changed. Um, my, I was one of those kids that used to bring home the stray cats and anything I could find on the you know side of the road. So my mom drove her drove her crazy, but. Um, I was always that kid. And then uh, I can't say it influenced my decision, but I, my first home was about a mile away from the first safari park where I did my first internship. So working with big cats. So I could actually, some of my first memories were hearing lions roar from my backyard. Oh, wow. Which is a pretty incredible wow. way to grow up. <laughs> in Oregon, yeah. huh? So just a constant reminder in the back of your mind saying animals. Yeah. Um, it, but, it's funny. I mean, I, I have... I guess a similar background growing up on a farm in uh, Southwest Ohio and right. the youngest of three brothers. And we used to bring all sorts of critters home. And yep. we had the old um, box traps that we'd catch groundhogs and yep. possums and raccoons and th that sort of thing. So I, I relate. I really yeah, do. Absolutely. And then my grandma also had a farm. So I grew up around horses and everything else. And we used to ride in parades and all that. So, That's neat. Um, but um, as basically, as I got older, I decided that I knew I would never be truly content in a field not working with animals. So once I realized that, I just had to figure out what path I wanted to take. And as I did more and more internships, trying different things, I found that I really loved educating the public because you're able to work with an animal and use that relationship to create a bond, you know, or a relationship. Right. right. Um, and an appreciation for yeah, nature. Exactly. And, yes. A special moment uh, with the, the community or a guest. And that can honestly change their life, in my opinion, especially when you're working with children. You can influence, you know, that child's future career. And um, 
I always like to say, if I can use my knowledge and expertise to possibly create the next Jane Goodall or Steve Irwin, right. then I will have achieved one of my goals in life because right. that's our future. That's our, our conservation and our... Steve Irwin, the old, uh, the old, but Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. I mean, my kids and I used to watch him all mm -hmm. the time. And of course, we're so sad that he's gone now. He's right. such a young guy, but with animals, you, yeah, they're very unpredictable. I mean, I guess for our listeners, uh, Unfortunately, he was uh, he was swimming with a stingray, mm -hmm. and the stingray has a barb on the back of its tail, and mm -hmm. it got him in uh, in 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 a artery, mm -hmm. and it killed him just very unexpectedly. So tra tragic tragic story, but that unfortunately is uh, sometimes when you're dealing with animals, which you have a lot of you know, yes. at Sarasota Garden, Sarasota uh, Jungle Gardens. So share with us what it's like work with all these animals because you have what is over 200 animals yep, here over on 250 site? correct yep well so <laughs> talk about what that's like because you got to feed them you have to care for them you have veterinary uh you know bills i guess and uh, you have to house them so but but what tell us so so give us like a typical day of what you have here and working with the animals so one thing i will say is no one day is ever the same as the next day. Um, every day can be very complex because like you said, we have so many animals. And uh, one of the hard things uh, about working in a place like this where there are so many different animals and you're working with all of them, because many places you go and you work with animals, you're working with maybe one or two species. So you can really focus on you know, those right. one or two species, but here you have to really know uh, the physiology, the diet, um, the exercise routine, the enclosure uh, requirements for you know, dozens and dozens of different species. You have to know, you know, how, what a healthy animal looks like so that you can know if it's an unhealthy animal. So that's the most complex part of it. But daily, daily work, I mean, it's a lot of scooping poop. Uh, <laughs> I don't think what a lot of people realize when they get into this field is if you're going to be very dirty and you're going to be very smelly at the end of the day. Um, but it is also very rewarding. So sure it is. Uh, favorite part of my day is being able to really make somebody's day. I mean, uh, we have people come in here that have never seen certain animals. Uh, we have our lemur interactions. So we have people come in that don't even know what a lemur is right, right. when they first start. And by the end of it, they understand that it's an endangered animal and uh, they want to go travel to Madagascar to save them. And so yes. that's an amazing part of my day is to be able to um, share that with people. Well, I have lived vicariously through all the um nature programs out there in the National Geographic and whatnot. So mm -hmm. I didn't know the lemurs were from Madagascar. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what I always love about them is when they come down out of the trees and they, they try to run across the ground. They're adorable. They are adorable. You just have to see them anyways, but I digress. And wanna... yeah. so, so talk, share some more about the different animals that you do have here on site. And not all 250, but I mean, what, what are some of your favorite ones? So some of my favorite ones, definitely the lemurs. Um, I work with them a lot. Uh, we have one of our lemurs here that does our interactions. He even knows how to open a door. Um, that was a very interesting day when we learned that. <laughs> so he, he's they are very, very intelligent. Um, I also love working with uh, the, the crocodilians and all the reptiles. We have many different kinds of snakes. We have big snakes. Um, our giant snakes of the world exhibit is one of our newest exhibits. Really? So, yep. So we've got a uh, Burmese python down there, reticulated python, and an anaconda. How big? Um, the biggest one, I think she's, uh, reaching about 18 feet. Oh, wow. Which um, one, which one? The that's anaconda? Reticulated. Yeah. That's a reticulated. Yep. So, um, so that's a really cool exhibit to go check out. 
And then we're working on incorporating some of those, uh, some other of our reticulated pythons into some educational programs so that sure. people can get a little bit more up close and personal with those, at least as much as they can. Um, so those are some of my favorite animals. And of course, the parrots. Um, we talked about Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin was famously a little bit wary of birds of, um, and parrots for good reason, because they are extremely intelligent, um, about as smart as a three to five year old. So that wow. means that they uh, can trick you and smarter than yeah, me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they, they think things through and sometimes they will uh, test you, but, but they're also amazing to work with, um, to see what they can do. And, and some of them live quite old, correct? Yes, correct. So that is also why we have so many parrots here at Jungle Gardens, because a lot of people don't understand that they are so smart. They need so much attention and they can live to be up to 80, 90 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So uh, that is uh, sometimes people get them and they can't take care of them anymore or something happens and they end up donating them here. What's the oldest you have here? So the oldest, his estimated age right. is about 84 years old. Really? That is spooky. He's a cockatoo. Really? Mm-hmm. And do, do you have like parrot geritol that you have to give him? <laughs> no, but he's doing, he's in pretty good shape. He's doing great. Is that right? Yep. Now, now, is he retired or do, does he still do some of the shows that you have here? Uh, he's retired as far as shows go, yeah. but you can still come by and see him. He's front and center out there with all the parrots. What has surprised you? So you've been here, what, two and a half years now, mm-hmm. correct? So what has surprised you the most about working at Jungle Gardens? Uh, I would say... Just the variety of animals that you get right. to work with. So, like I said, most of the time you start somewhere and you're usually working with one or two animals. But here, there's a lot of cross-training and you end up really working with all the animals. Uh, so, you uh, sometimes you have to be really brave. And um, we, uh, when I'm hiring people, I always ask them if they have a fear of snakes and spiders. Sure. Because that's something that I've had people get over. My first educator, she had a deathly fear of snakes. Yes. And now she owns one. So... Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting you say that there was a um, there was a woman that I knew a number of years ago. She was so afraid of snakes that the Sunday newspaper, her husband had to go through first to make sure that there was not any imagery. In there uh, yes, of snakes. I have a best friend that does that, too. And she's just she was absolutely I mean, it was just a psychological thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure like this gal that you referenced earlier who was afraid of them and now owns a snake i'm sure it's very gratifying to you to see once they're exposed to mm-hmm. see what the truth about them and to bring them along i'm sure it's very gratifying to you to see the the part that you played in that. absolutely i've done that a few times actually i've even had people request bringing snakes out to them so that they can get over their sure fear, which yes. is which is very brave of them. It is. But uh, it's also incredible because I've been able to make a difference and change that person's life, hopefully, where they don't have to worry about that fear quite so much. Because uh, most of our, uh, pretty much all of our snakes are very, very friendly. Um, they're, what, they're what we call ambassador animals. So right. animals that are used right. to working with the public because we are so interactive. And so it makes it to where we can bring them out and completely trust them, you know, right. to be Socialize around people. them with people around them. Absolutely. We have threat. amazing animals. It, it, it's funny because we were talking before I record about my life growing up in Southwest Ohio, youngest of three brothers. We were always bringing in home pets, mm-hmm. including snakes. And in, in Ohio, you have, we call them blue racers or black snakes. Yep. And they can be up to six feet long. I mean, they're not small snakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would catch them and bring them home, and uh, you know. So, I, fortunately, I was never, I was never afraid of snakes. I find <laughs> right. fascinating, obviously. Yeah, so, they're but amazing. I think that's interesting. So, so share with us. So, you already share with us your your favorite animal and whatnot. What share with us a couple stories, maybe of 
the interactions that you've seen some of the visitors have with your animals. I think we were talking earlier, uh, again, before we hit record about some of the camps that you have, some of the kids, they come here, they learn about the animals. Talk about that if you would. Yeah. So one of my favorite things that I do here is a zoo camp. So we have a summer zoo camp. And the first year that I started working here, I was able to, I was put in charge of it. And so I was able to completely revamp our program uh, to start incorporating digital media, such as PowerPoints. Uh, We started uh, using apps. So when we taught about conservation and palm oil, um, things like that, where um, there's destruction of the environment. Sure is. Palm um, oil. Yes. Indonesia. Yep. 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 So uh, when we taught the kids about that, we downloaded an app that actually would scan products and show you how good or bad that company was as far as using sustainable resources for palm oil. And the kids got so excited um, and they were just going around finding all the products they possibly could. Uh, we told them they could get points. We, they have, uh, they're on certain teams, you know, they're either on the lemur team, the parrot team um, cool. in the camp. So we told them if they were able to go with their parents and have their parents take a picture of um, the uh, sustainable um, uh, logo on yes. the box in the grocery store, they could get points for their team. We actually, and we told them, you know, don't buy it. It's, you don't have to buy anything. We don't want you to go and spend money or anything. <laughs> just, just try to find it. Just anything you can do to show us that you actually found this. Um, to just show them that there are ways to find sustainable products. And I remember we had one mom and daughter come back and say, we went to three or four grocery stores, but we finally found it. <laughs> that's funny. But, oh, but, that's great. That's great. But Zoo Camp is absolutely amazing because the kids are just so, so smart and they love doing it. And um, so every day we have them journal at the end of the day, something they learn and at the end of the week present that. But uh, you can see that they really, truly learn. My favorite part is when we go take them to our shows, the, our daily shows. And so they're part of the whole crowd. So the guests are also there, but we get front row seating because we're special. Uh, so uh, my favorite part is when they are answering all of the entertainers' questions and annoying the entertainers because usually they get to interact with the rest <laughs> of the guests, but our kids are always answering their questions first at that point after we've taught them go all away, their kid, lessons. Go yeah. away, kid. Go away, kid. You're exactly. interrupting my You're ruining the show. You're ruining my skit. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, what what one of the things I like about uh, Jungle Gardens is again, it's a part of Old Florida, and you can actually interact directly with the animals. For example, you can feed the flamingos right out mm-hmm. of your hand, and there's so few parks that you can do that sort of thing uh, anymore. What talk about some of the other things that visitors can do in direct interaction with the animals, mm-hmm. and what they can't do. So that is uh, very, it makes us very special, the flamingos, uh, especially because, like you said, there's not many places you can walk right up and feed a flamingo. And it's extremely fun. I did not think very much about flamingos until I started working here. And now I have flamingo earrings, flamingo pajama pants. I mean, they're uh, everything flamingo. I want so. lemur. Yeah. I want <laughs> lemur pajama pants. Right. Yeah, I'd love those too. Um, uh, but we also have um, the big interactions where you get to sit down with an educator and an animal. They teach you about the animal. It's about a 30-minute experience. We have those with our lemurs, our giant Aldabra tortoise. He's about 65 years old and about 650 pounds. Where's he from originally? They are from uh, the Aldabra Atoll, so off the east coast of Africa. Okay. Um, Everybody's heard of the Galapagos tortoise and whatnot. Right. So so I the, didn't realize, yeah, I yep, didn't realize so, that there were other areas where they had these large ones. So the Galapagos can get a little bit bigger than the Aldabras. Mm. Uh, not by much, but a little bit bigger. So the Aldabras are the second largest species of tortoise. Yeah. 
Um, and then you can also interact with our little muntjac deer. She's uh, one of the smallest species of deer in the, uh, in the world. So she is, uh, they're from Asia, but they're actually invasive in Europe. Um, so if you see her, I, you can imagine anybody ever not wanting these guys around because they're adorable. They're like a little tiny Bambi. Interesting. So what can't they, what can't visitors do that typically they want to do, but they can't do? I would say pet the parrots. Yeah. People always want to pet the parrots. Sure. And like we talked about, they are very intelligent. So yeah. They don't like to be petted. You can hold them on your arm. You can come and you can t- hold it on your arm like a pirate. And, um, take a picture with that. I love it because people will actually come here and recreate pictures that they've taken 10, 20, 30 years ago with parrots on their arm. And sometimes we even have that same parrot, which is incredible right. Uh, right. because they live to be so long. So wow. we do get to do that. Um, they, uh, we have the alligator uh, that people can hold. Let's see. How big is the alligator? It ranges. ranges yeah. from about two to four feet. Right. Depending on the day. We like to rotate them to make sure we never, you know, they never have to work too hard and they get to go on their break. Right. And then, um, and then uh, we do have the snakes. Um, some snakes are what we call prohibited species. So mm. like if you, you, I'm sure you've heard of the snakes in the Everglades, the Burmese sure. python. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of regulations around them where people aren't really allowed to hold them completely anymore. But we are trying to incorporate them back into our education programs where people can at least come in the right setting and touch them and be able to take pictures with them. So we're really excited to be able why, to offer Why don't they want people to hold them? I'm, I'm just curious. So it's part of the regulations. Uh, the... They are very, you have to have them in certain uh, closed off areas because they're just very concerned about the snakes getting away right. and yeah. getting into the wild because of the whole issue with the Burmese pythons, uh, because they can clearly survive in uh, the Everglades and in Florida. So they want to make sure that they don't, that doesn't happen anymore and that we're controlling that population because they're, they go after alligator eggs and birds and sure, all the wildlife yeah. that we, yeah, we do really want Yeah, they're destroying the ecology here. down there. They really are. Absolutely. It's interesting. It clear, in Cincinnati, where uh, I'm from originally, uh, the Crone Conservatory up there, which, of course, is botanical gardens, all enclosed this huge glass building and whatnot, they would have a butterfly mm-hmm. exhibit once a year, and they bring in butterflies and caterpillars from around mm-hmm. the world and whatnot. So they were really, really careful about making sure that the butterflies didn't, you know, go out on your shirt or oh, you know, yeah. take it and they had these blowers and whatnot. When you walk through the door, make sure it blow the butterflies off. Right. So I could appreciate the fact that uh, because Florida, I think more of than any other state has been inundated by invasive species. You had what what was the um, the African snail? Mm-hmm. That's down in the Miami area. It mm-hmm. was eating stucco off the ha- off right. the houses to replace their their shells. <laughs> Uh, you have the lionfish down in the Keys mm-hmm. that's eating all the the fry down there, and I've actually had lionfish. It's a great, it's a great. Oh, meat. really? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, and that's an amazing thing that they're doing. I I did one of my research projects on the lionfish because it's really right. fascinating how they came down here. Um, but they are really working to try to find a way to utilize them in different yeah. ways so that we can get right. Rid of, uh, try to decrease their population. So, and one of the ways is trying to encourage people to eat them. Because people didn't really think about eating them until they became invasive. Yep. So now we're trying to use that. They're even trying to teach sharks over here how to uh, eat them as prey, um, which is really interesting because well, you, the, there's you, no you train animals. Would you yeah, like to train right. a shark? I would right? love to. Um, so they, because there's no real natural predators over here, which is the big problem. Yeah. They don't see them as prey because they're all spiky and scary. I have seen, I've seen YouTubes mm-hmm. of a grouper. 
that ate yes. one. Now, I don't know if the grouper survived because these lionfish have these huge spikes on them and they're mm-hmm. poisonous. So I don't know if it survived. They should be able to, and they, they might even, you know, build up a, an immunity. A, yeah, yeah, something like that. But there's a lot of research going on around it. So it's it, hard to tell. Yeah. Well, we're getting off topic. Here, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just get me talking about animals. Well, 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 tell us more about the animals here. So you have lemurs and you have the tortoises and you have some of these other exotic uh, pets here, like, you know, pets, I call them pets. Mm-hmm. Animals like the prairie dogs and the alligators. Mm-hmm. Want to, where do you get the feed for all these animals? That is a great question. A lot of people ask what they eat. So most of uh, the animals get a base diet of a brand called Missouri, which is a big brand that goes out to almost all zoological facilities. And so it's very nutrition-based. They have um, people that will work with you on building a nutrition plan for each individual animal, because like I said, every animal is unique. So you have to have a very specific diet. So they're all made specifically for that species. So you have uh, ones made for parrots, ones made for crocodilians, ones made for certain primates, which, you know, can range depending on the primate. And so you have to look at that. I basically call it like alligator cereal or uh, right. you kind of think of like they got to eat their right. Wheaties, right. Right. <laughs> right. something right. like that. And then we also sub in fresh fruits and vegetables every day so that we make sure that they're getting all of that. One philosophy that I like to teach all of my employees here is we really try to mimic whatever that animal has ex- would experience in the wild. So uh, for example, uh, the, our, Black and white rough lemurs, they are what is called a frugivore. Mm. So that means that they eat a lot of fruit. However, the vegetables and fruits here in the United States, so the vegetables here are going to be much higher in sugar content because they're made for humans. Right. So they're going to actually be much much more similar to fruit that you would find in Madagascar. Mm. So we would actually give them a lot more vegetables than we would fruit to just um, mimic that, what they would get in the wild to make sure they're getting the right nutrition. Do do the lemurs have personalities? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, They are like toddlers that can climb and jump really far. (laughs) Is how I explain them. But one might be more stoic and another one more vivacious and another one really... Um, our lemurs that do interactions, it is Wendy, Tinkerbell, and Peter Pan. And they somehow <laughs> manage to grow into their name. So Peter is very rambunctious. Um, Wendy is the very smart one. And Tinkerbell is kind of the troublemaker. That's so, funny. Yeah. That is so funny. Now, you, I know that you, obviously, when a new employee comes and, and comes here and signs on, or you, I know you have internships as mm-hmm. well. How do you train people to handle the different animals. What does that look like? What, do, what does kind of like the orientation look like and sure. the, the, the on-hands training? So we have a book of standard operating procedures. So if anybody ever has questions, they can always reference back to that. But usually we start small and kind of work uh, their way up because in the zoological field, I mean, you can go to, you know, I've gotten, I worked on my degree in fisheries and wildlife. Some of the employees have their degree in marine biology, but you can't study every single animal no, of course. to know all about them. So we do our best to do on the ground, hands-on training. So you kind of start small, maybe with the petting zoo and work your way up from there until into the more complicated or complex animals. Um, and then um, one thing that is really big here, other than diet, is teaching the employees and the interns especially about enrichment and um, finding just finding different ways to take care of the animals. So uh, say if an animal... Spend, uh, we know that it spends 25% of its time in the wild foraging for food, then our goal here is to try to make it to where they are spending 25% of their wow. time okay. looking for their food. Yeah. So 
We do that by using puzzles or even hiding food, scattering it around the enclosure. And so it's a pretty lofty goal for any facility to have. It's almost nearly impossible most of the time to reach that, but it's a really good standard to have. That's fascinating. I mean, what fascinates me about that is, is one of the things I think that we've missed in the zoos over the years is the fact that like, these higher-end animals that are, that are more intelligent, whatnot, they're yes. not the intellectual stimulation that they need. Exactly. There's a, there's a great, I'm going to get off topic here a little bit, but there's a, there's a great documentary that was called um, Black, Blackfish, I think yes. it was on the orchids Mm -hmm. and i guess they just go nuts because they're in this kind of like sterile tanks and they don't have the interaction so you guys try to provide that for again some of the animals that really need that that's fascinating and some of the animals like those it's it can be difficult to find different methods that are very mentally stimulating for them right is really the hard part and so you have to really get into the mind of that animal and think you know, does this animal climb around in the trees? Do I need to hang something so that they're hanging and doing natural behaviors like that? Or do they forage on the ground? Uh, our Kutamundi are, um, they're basically like a South American raccoon, but they forage a lot uh, through o- across the ground to find, you know, worms and bugs and things like that. So a lot of the time we're going to be scattering his food along the ground. So he has to mimic that behavior. So we try to think a lot about that. I would imagine if you don't do that, they could be incredibly destructive because they have that energy that they want to mm-hmm. apply as well, I guess. They could be. I like to say animals like to work. They really want, you know, that's what they're supposed to be doing in the wild. And so they want to have a job to do, whether it's finding food or interacting with the public. I mean, some of our animals genuinely seem to enjoy interacting with the public you know they will come out to the public and choose to do that we always like to make sure that we're giving our animals choice in what they choose to do 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 you have a single favorite story about an interaction with one of the animals here is there something that or one of these that they really surprised you they surprised me (laughs) hold your hold your ponytail or something i don't know yeah well lemur does that sometimes (laughs) um Let's see. I mean, I already said about uh, when we were opening the door, that was definitely one of the oh, more yeah. surprising days that we had. But um, see, I would say possibly, I think, I mean, I honestly, I keep going back to the lemur, but there was one day where I brought some people in there and we did our lemur interaction. And by the end of it, they were in tears. They were so excited about the whole experience. Um, I've had people leave there and say they want to go to Madagascar and save all the lemurs now. And so that really is, th- those are the best days for me when I know that I've truly made a difference. I've made a lasting memory that people say that this is the best experience of their life. I think that's just absolutely incredible so. for me. That's, that's very, very cool. Well, we recently had a hurricane here, mm-hmm. Hurricane Ian. And like everybody else, I was scrambling, like, is this thing mm-hmm. going to hit? You know, I live in the Osprey area. Is it going to hit Osprey? Mm. Is it going to hit Tampa? Is it going to hit further north? So I'm sure you all were scrambling to prepare for this. And I couldn't even imagine how do you prepare for a hurricane when you have 250 animals? What did that look like? <laughs> it looked like a a, a lot. <laughs> so uh, being from Oregon, I had never experienced a true hurricane. Yeah. So I remember the moment when one of my employees came to me and said, "This, there's some, this is coming. And I had to, you know, we did more research. We figured out the trajectory. And of course, that was days out. And so we were just, for the most part at that point, doing our best to just prepare. So we had to prepare uh, crates so that we could move everyone. Because what's really fortunate is we have a special building, our education building, where we do our zoo camp. So, you know, we've been around since 1939. This building actually used to be a building that housed insects. 
So it has no windows, which makes it perfect for a hurricane shelter. Right. So all of our animals or nearly all of our animals, anybody that might have been possibly in danger from the hurricane got moved over to that building. So the days before all the preparation was making sure that extra food, extra water, everything like that was prepared. All of the animals had their individual crates so that as soon as the day hit, because you don't want to move them too soon, uh, but as soon as the day before, I should say, hit, that we could get them moved as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So we were able to move uh, over 200 animals with using all of our staff and resources in a single day. Uh, We built custom enclosures over in the building to make sure that everybody had their individual needs met. Um, we had all their diets, everything available. Wow. And, um, I'm sure it was a monumental undertaking. It was. It was. We were exhausted by the end of the day, but we were also very proud of ourselves Which, and, and our animals. You, you know, if if I think back, you know, several years ago, with you know the, the terrible tsunami in Indonesia and whatnot, there were there were count, accounts of animals that since the on excuse me oncoming doom mm-hmm. right yeah did you notice did the animals sense something was not right yes. when you started all the preparations absolutely so uh the lemurs of course are very intelligent they will notice if you change your routine at all so sometimes they don't cooperate as well but fortunately our lemurs are crate trained for the most part and so they know to go into a crate and um so that way it's never a scary experience for them so that's really good the our pigs in our petting zoo, their behavior changed. They they could you could tell that they were very much on edge. Uh, our parrots also changed a little bit too. Interesting. But it was actually more of a they changed almost in a little bit more of a friendly way. To uh, it was almost like they knew that we we were there to kind of help them out. Which is I mean I'm not to anthropomorphize, but um, but they definitely changed their behavior too. Interesting. Right around that time. Interesting. Talk to us a little bit about the shows that you all do here. What can visitors expect to see when they attend the show? So the shows here are really amazing. We have some great uh, entertainers. So we have four shows every day, um, nearly on every hour, except for two o'clock. So we've got two wildlife shows, a bird or parrot show, and then a reptile show. So each show has at least three different animals that come out. If you are one of those special guests, you might even get called up by an entertainer to get to hold an animal. And usually our entertainers will even stay a little bit after the show so you can come up and ask questions and everything like that. But it's a really great experience because they get to teach you about the animals and then sometimes you get to hold them and everything. And so, again, very interactive as much as we can be. That's great. That's great. Well, we're toward the end here of 2022. We got 2023 staring us right in the face. (laughs) What are you excited about? yourself and for Jungle Gardens in the coming year. Sure. So I am really excited about the new programs that we're developing that are going to incorporate the community a little bit more. Uh, Those are very exciting, trying to get into some of the homeschool communities and work with them and teaching programs that we can coordinate with them on. Um, Also very excited for just our general growth. So like I said, I've been here a little over two years and every year, we have increased drastically in attendance. So each year is busier than the last and we expect it to continue going that way. So we are continuing to grow uh, in animals, in our team and everything like that. So we're going to continue on with that. And that's very exciting because I really like to work on the continuing education with my my employees where we are networking with the other uh, facilities around the area um, here and all across Florida. 
so that we can learn to be better and do everything that we can to have happy, healthy animals. Well, I love the environment because, again, it's, it's a part of old Florida. Mm-hmm. And I hope that there's many, many years mm-hmm. of successful jungle gardens. And I'm sure there will be. And I'm just going to give out the contact information here. You all are open 365 days a year, correct? We are closed Christmas and Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Christmas and Thanksgiving. Yes. But you're open 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. daily. And if you want to know more, dear listener, about Jungle Gardens, Sarasota Jungle Gardens, you can reach them at 941 355 5305, and they're also located at 3701 Bayshore Road, obviously in Sarasota. Brittany, it's been a pleasure having you on the Sarasota Stories podcast. I appreciate it so much. Yes, thank you for having me. And of course, if you ever want to meet me or have any questions, want to talk about animals, please feel free to stop by and just say hi. That's super great. Oh, and and before I let you all go, Brittany did share with me that if there's a special group out there and you have an idea of a special event that you want to do, they are very, very accommodating. So just give her a call at that phone number and uh, they'll do their best to comply. Absolutely. Brittany, once again, it's a pleasure having you on the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.